morning, good evening, good afternoon. It feels really great to be back. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, whether it be in comics, TV shows, and movies. And a lot of interesting stuff has been happening, especially with current events. And I'll tell you guys about that when we get to current events. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started with comics. And my God, after all this time, five years, Deceased has come to an end with War of the Undead Gods issue number 8. Now, one of the big things about this is that this was supposedly supposed to cut off any loose ends throughout the series, but it really doesn't. And I'll go into that while I'm explaining what happens in the comic. So basically, at the start of this comic, everyone is reunited with their loved ones. Mr. Miracle and Big Barda are introduced to their son. Supergirl is back to normal and sees her parents that were in Candor and were set free because of Cyborg. They are surprised to see Clark, and he is happy to not be the last Kryptonian anymore. But also, they mourn for the gods that they weren't able to save, such as Highfather, and many more that were not cured in time and ended up being killed. Damien sneaks up on Death, which Death congratulates the man, being one of the few to do so. He says that he has a plan, but he wanted Death's confirmation to see if it would even work. Meanwhile, everyone in the group gathers together and talks about how they're going to fight Eberos. They know that he's outside time and space and the only way to get to him is through a doom tube, but if they do, they will die and become infected. They begin talking about even if they get through, they will need a plan to deal with Eberos. Damien chimes in that he and Cyborg have a weapon that can take him out. But they need somebody distracting Eberos while they do this. Now, Darkseid says he can distract them. Darkseid is very powerful, especially with the Yellow Lantern Ring. But a lot of people comment that he will not be able to distract him alone. Guy Gardner makes a joke about Darkseid uh, being able to do it if he has his ego powering him. Darkseid responds with blasting him with an Omega Beam, surprisingly and most likely purposely not killing Guy. Superman and John jump in, but Guy admits that he was the one dumb enough to poke fun at Darkseid. And I gotta say, Guy admitting he's dumb enough to joke with Darkseid, that was funny. Ares and Black Racer uh, both step up, well, not really Ares. Black Racer steps up to distract Ebros. And the funny thing is, everyone had a goat Ares into fighting. And it was hilarious, like, oh, you're the god of running away. This is a war. Why aren't you chiming in? And it actually got him to agree to distract him. Now, they talk about the plan and how they're going to get past the Doom Tube dying and all that stuff. So, Cyborg has an idea. He's going to kill them, kill them himself and then resurrect everybody. Of course, yeah, that's like, oops. <laughs> Killing everybody and resurrecting them. I cannot see how this will not go wrong. Anyway, Damien talks to Wonder Girl and tells her that he does not want her to be there. She ends up leaving. They get ready and head out. They end up going through with the plan, dying and being resurrected at the same time. And surprisingly enough, nothing goes wrong. Once inside, Black Racer and Ares go to work and they make an opening in the inside of Ebros and they go inside, making sure that they're good to plant the weapon. Once inside, Cyborg notes that they are ready to use the weapon, but for some reason he can't remember what the weapon was and he sees that it's been deleted from his memory. Damien reveals that he used the virus his dad uploaded into him, a really, really great reference to what Batman did to Injustice, and deleted the memory and set his flight navigations back to the ship 
to warn everybody, it's revealed that Damien transferred the life equation into him and is going to explode with the life equation energy to kill Eberos who has the anti-life equation. I gotta say, that's actually pretty smart, but it's going to kill both of them. Everyone attempts to escape. Ares is killed, distracting Eberos. Alfred and John go to Damien and basically wait as he's about to explode. During the last few seconds, Alfred grabs John and basically flies him out after saying their last goodbyes. In the aftermath, everybody is safe, there's no more virus, and Alfred goes and walks through the new universe that was created in the explosion and states that he misses his sons as he is the last one in the Bat family to have survived, which is actually kind of sad and it it's... Usually the other way around, usually have someone from the Bat family to survive and basically mourn all the others, but this time it's Alfred. And as him as the Spectre, he's going to be the host for a very, very long time. Now, yes, that is the end of the issue and end of five years of work putting into it. Was it the best main series? I mean, it had its moments. I'm not going to lie. Some issues were a bit slower. I get that he wanted to tie everything together. Personally, I would have liked if, I don't know, DC gave him more than eight issues, maybe 10, 12 to kind of loop everything together. And, but I mean, like I said, the conclusion wasn't that bad. Now, I will say this. They did not tie up a lot of the loose ends. For one... What happened to Stephanie and Talia al Ghul? Because in one of the previous books, not the main story, one of the spinoffs, they actually had where she was killed by Black Manta, but Talia stated that she was going to dump Stephanie into the Lazarus Pit, which re would resurrect anybody. But what happened? Nobody knows. It was never unanswered, or it was never answered. So... I mean, sure, there's a few other loose ends, but for me, that was the more major one. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully, they're able to maybe release a epilogue further in to say what happened. Who knows? That would be actually kind of cool. But, yep, that's it for the Undead Gods. Tom Taylor stated that he can't believe it's been over five years. He's worked on several of the issues, and he's been super busy. So, honestly, the dude needs a break. But, yep, that's it for the DC Comics. Moving on to Marvel. And we're talking about Red Goblin, issue number three. Now, the comic starts with a flashback where Norman, who is back when he was still under the influence of the Green Goblin, explains to Normie, his grandson, why they should never show weakness. And this goes further when a homeless man walks into the train that they're in and asks people for change. And Norman basically explains that you see how he has only one shoe. We have three and we should never give anybody the extra shoe because we're the ones who earned it. And basically giving the, sh the shoe will show weakness. Now again, this is when he was still under the influence of the Green Goblin. So, and this is kind of reflected with the reflection showing back the Green Goblin to Norman. Now it cuts back to current time where Normie is getting slammed by all the Goblin army and he's doing his best to hold them off. Rascal basically tells Normie to give him control, but he refuses. Norman tries to reason with the Goblin King, but to no avail, and basically is grabbed and lifted up above, about to be killed. Normie's mind is taken back to the apartment where he talks with Rascal. It's revealed that the reason why the symbiote resembles a Goblin isn't because of Rascal. It's because Normie wants it to be, like subconsciously. 
And the one thing that they note is that the symbiote only brings out what's already inside a person. And Ormi decides that he's already a monster and fully bonds with Rascal to basically let that monster free. The symbiote changes and becomes much stronger and basically kind of does like a carnage thing where he's able to uh, basically create projectiles and he dispatches the goblin army with ease, takes out the goblin king and is about to eat him when he's stopped by Norman who says that he has to stop listening to the symbiote. Normie snaps back to normal and swings away with Norman. Meanwhile, Normie's mom is laying it very hard on the principal for her son going missing, threatening lawyers, all this stuff. And then she gets a call from the hospital letting them know that Norman is safe. Normie is still mad at Rascal and tells him not to talk to him because of how far that he was about to go. He goes outside and where he's surprised by a dog. The owner of uh, the dog is a homeless woman and talks about how pit bulls are always getting a bad rep for being mean, but states that there's no such thing as a bad dog, but bad owners. And he kind of realizes that he hasn't been a really good owner to Rascal at all. Meanwhile, the Goblin King swears revenge and sees a piece of fabric left behind that has Normie's brother's name on it, and the comic ends with the hint that he is going to be the next target. Now, I gotta say, this comic series is pretty much getting good. I like the dynamic between uh, Normie and Rascal and how it's kind of evolving similar to what Eddie Brock had to go through with Venom. And I like how they're basically children and they're having to work together. I honestly will say that this is already better than the Amazing Spider-Man series already. I'm not a fan of Zeb Wells and his Spider-Man series absolutely sucks, but I was told by a friend of mine on Instagram, Marvel, uh, Marvel Data Access, that I have to be careful with what I say about comic writers because a lot of the times it's not even their fault. It's the editor's fault because of what they want to happen in the background. So, I mean, it is what it is. But honestly, I wonder if Spider-Man is going to make a crossover with this series. It would make sense since he's working for Norman already. So, we'll see what happens. But anyway, that's it for comics. We're moving on to TV shows. And Apple TV is releasing a new animated show. And I gotta say, I was not expecting this. And honestly, I'm surprised other studios hadn't tried this already. But y'all remember that Frog and Toad books that we used to have when we were elementary school kids? They used to like do a bunch of stuff, go on adventures. Well, now they're gonna be doing that animated. They're coming out with an animated TV show on Apple TV. And I gotta say, it's weird how we haven't gotten something similar to that or multiple spinoffs. But hey, I'm here for it. I used to love those books as a kid, so seeing them animated may be fun. So good job for Apple TV for making our childhood come back to life. Shoot, I honestly forgot about that before the show was announced. I saw the trailer and I was like, what? Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, speaking of childhoods coming back, Tiny Toons is coming back. And this time they're going to college. I mean, wow, I forgot all about, you know what, I forgot about Tiny Toons, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, when I was a kid, I somewhat saw their show here and there. I was more of an Animaniacs guy. But honestly, I, it's, I'm happy to see them back. And like I said, this time they're going to college. And it would have been cool if they all had the Animaniacs still going on, especially since it would have been great for them to be on HBO Max instead of Hulu for that to happen, but it is what it is. But anyway, 
it kind of makes sense for them to be at university because it kind of like they grew with their audience. I mean, given their audience is probably in their 30s right now, late 20s, early 30s, but still, I mean, it's really great because, hey, now they can relate to college classes or reminisce about a bunch of other stuff. And again, I'm really happy to see all the original characters back and hopefully we get a lot more interactions with the Looney Tunes. One show I'm surprised they haven't brought back, and you know what? I say I'm surprised, but they probably will, is another 90 Spielberg show, which is Freakazoid. So who knows, maybe Freakazoid will be the next one they bring back. Anyway, uh, moving on, Disney has released a new trailer for a show called American Born Chinese. And the trailer just dropped for it, and I gotta say, I didn't really know anything about it before watching the trailer. I didn't even know it was a book, or not a book, a graphic novel before that. I thought it was just going to be a regular, you know, coming-of-age story about a um, boy who was a Chinese-American and all that stuff. But watching the trailer, you got Chinese God saving the world, etc. I mean, it's kind of interesting seeing the show explore more on the lore of the Chinese God since they're not really well-known. Besides, of course, maybe the Monkey King. And that's the only person I know. So it's really cool to see this happening, especially since it's adapted from a graphic novel. Hopefully it's good. It already has Michelle Yao. So you know what? Already went. It's going to drop on May 24th. So I'll check it out. See if it's worth checking out. Who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be bad. It's always a flip on the dice. Speaking of flip on the dice, y'all remember the um, National Treasure TV show that came out? They were doing heavily advertisements for it and all that stuff. Well, they're not going to advertise it anymore. It's been canned after one season. And you know what? I really can see why. They didn't have the most fan favorite character, Nicolas Cage. How can you have a national treasure TV show without Nick Cage? It wasn't going to succeed. You were already going in with a disability. But you know what? I mean, I guess they learned their lesson. Uh, National Treasure's not coming back for another season. And we'll see about what happens with that series. Hopefully they're still gonna make the movie. That would be amazing. But anyway, moving on. The Mandalorian season three finale happened and wow, was it amazing. I mean, having everybody fight each other, showing the aftermath of basically the Empire having Beskar armor, now, did it feel a little bit rushed? Sure. But I, you know what? Everybody shined throughout the entire episode, showing how skilled Moff Gideon was to the point where he was able to take on both Bo-Katan and Din Djarin was really cool. And the fact that Baby Yoda was able, Baby Yoda, oh my God, Grogu, or should I say Din Grogu, has been able to like block the explosion. I mean, think about it. He was in a, basically an ectoskeleton Beskar armor. He wasn't going to lose, and I was really sad when they lost the Darksaber. I was like, no, but honestly, the one thing that Din Djarin mentioned was that his clan doesn't care about the Darksaber. They care about the character of the person, and it was really cool to see that come around for Bo-Katan. In the beginning, I hated her. I was like, why is she so this way? But as you get to know the character and see her come around, you get to see another side of her and I was super happy because this is a background story that's been building on since the Clone Wars and it's really great to see it all work out and whether or not Moff Gideon is alive, who knows? I mean, think about it. How many clones did he have in that facility? He had quite a few and even though uh, Mando 
basically wiped most of them out? Who's to say that the Moff Gideon that they killed wasn't a clone? So really cool, I'm really happy. There wasn't an after credit to show what's gonna happen, but honestly, with everything leading up to the movie, who knows if everything's gonna leak over to the other shows, because remember, we still have the Ahsoka series, and there's still some characters that are still working for the Empire that we know of. So I'm excited to see what happens, and it was really cool to see Mando now working as a side job for the Republic, even though it's not official. Really love that, and one thing I loved was how he's basically on his property relaxing. Because honestly, I know a lot of people were mad that, hey, how come he didn't become King of Mandalore? Why did it go back to Bo-Katan? And you guys gotta remember, he doesn't wanna be king. He just wants a safe place with his son. And that's all he ever wanted. He wants a relaxing house, watching as the sun goes down. He doesn't wanna be king. I don't blame him. That sounds exhausting. But he's now an honorary person who can go out of the kingdom as he pleases. And you know what? He's basically the man with no name from those Clint Eastwood movies. He's there, he leaves, and he now finally has a place to call home. Also, it was really great to see them uh, get IG back, even though this one is 11. So, I really like season 3. Of course, they had weird stories, but it's basically planting the seeds for what is to come. And people really... Really gotta give Dave Filoni a break. Seriously, the dude brought back Star Wars. Let him breathe and let him do his thing. Anyway, that's it for TV shows, moving on to movies. And I gotta say, a movie that I was not expecting to get a sequel is getting a sequel, and that's Prehistoric Planet is coming back with David Attenborough narrating. And you know what? He's one of my favorite narrators. This dude speaks, and I will listen, because that's how immersed he gets you with his voice. So we're getting a sequel to that. It's going to be really cool, and I can't wait to watch it. Honestly, I really like the first Prehistoric Planet, even though, of course, it's just CGI since, I mean, we didn't have a camera back in the prehistoric era. But again, really enjoyable. Can't wait to see what happens. Uh, Speaking of can't wait to see what happens, King Kong and Godzilla is coming back with a new movie called The New Empire. Instead of being Godzilla versus King Kong, it's Godzilla x Kong. And with the teaser, apparently they're going to be fighting a common enemy. And the person that you see sitting on a throne with an axe seems to be from King Kong species. So that's going to be really cool. And wondering how powerful this ape is to actually take on both King Kong and Godzilla. Because this dude's better be ferocious, better be skilled. Or it's going to be a boring movie. And I just hope they focus more on the monsters than the humans. Because that's been my only complaint in this entire thing. Moving on. One series that I was surprised is making a comeback after it's been a while since they made a movie is the Insidious franchise. And apparently this new film takes place 10 years after the events of Chapter 2. Since Chapter 3 was kind of like a prequel series and all that stuff. Now apparently everyone has put the past behind them. But something awakens and puts the past back to haunt Dalton and Josh and bring more terrors from the other side. And they must go deeper and fight harder than they did before. Now, there's already talks about them doing a crossover with the Conjuring franchise since they're both under Blumhouse Productions. And I gotta say, it would be interesting, but it would also kind of destroy the fact that the Conjuring series has said, hey, this is based on a true story. 
Especially if they're already doing, what, a crossover with the Insidious franchise? Let's just be honest, nobody believes this actually happened. Anyway, that's it for movies. We're going into video games. Yippee! Now, to start us off, we're going to be talking about Horizon Zero Dawn, Forbidden West DLC, and the fact that it's out. And it's insane how big it is. I wasn't expecting it to be that vast. And it's really interesting because it's only one third of the size of the base game's map, which is a lot, and it takes a lot to get through everything. One thing I do like is the fact that the side missions are now activated by exploring and walking instead of having to go all the way to one area, talk to one person, go to another area, talk to another person. This just feels more natural. And the one thing that's really cool is that flying is much more integral to the area than before and it feels much more smoother. And you know why that is? And a lot, I'm gonna get a lot of slack for this, but it's because of the lack of PlayStation 4 support. And the fact that this isn't going to be released for the PlayStation 4, which means they were able to go all out with the technology that the PlayStation 5 provides. And you know what, I get it. It sucks for PlayStation 4 players who played the base game want to play the DLC, but are not able to. But it is what it is. I really like how Lance Riddick is back voicing Silence, and it sucks that this is probably going to be the last time we hear him voice him. And one of the things I really like about this DLC is the fact that Starkiller, Starkiller is the villain. And of course, he has a mustache, but I recognize his voice right away. I mean, it's a very, very obvious voice. Another thing I really liked was this took place after the game instead of before like the previous DLC from the previous game. And the one thing that really sucks, and I gotta say, it annoyed the hell out of me, was the fact that there's no refresher. So if you haven't touched the game since you beat it, which for me was almost a year ago, oh my god, I kept thinking to myself, wait, what was this button again? Oh my god, I'm dying, I'm dying. It took me roughly at least five to six deaths before I kind of got half decent to what I was before. That was hilarious. I was like, oh, they're just giving us a practice round. Oh my god, I'm dying. I kept dodging, like, what is this? Why didn't I have these, um, like, resources? I kept trying to make bows, and I'm like, why am I low on this thing? And I kept thinking to myself, oh yeah, I used everything for the final boss, didn't recuperate anything, and said, I'm just not going to touch this game until a little bit later, and a little bit took a year. So that's the other thing that sucks. Coming back and realizing a year ago you screwed you over with the resources, or lack thereof. So that was funny. And I liked how they have new armors and weapons, which are much more powerful. So we'll see what happens. And like I said, I'm really liking the DLC. I'll give this DLC a 9 out of 10. So that's always fun. I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as me. Speaking of not touching anything for a year, or can I say 10 years, Dead Island 2 has been released. And this has been a 10-year waiting game for most of us who played the first one. And I gotta say, I really like Dead Island 2. It brings people back to a simpler time where there wasn't unnecessary RPG elements and things were basically straightforward. The character selection is really fun. I like how you're still supposed to collect items because you know they're going to break, uh, create different items. And it's funny because I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh my God, this looks exactly like LA, even with the zombies, which was hilarious. But honestly, I'm really having fun. It's really simple. And some of the characters are really fun with their different abilities. 
Personally, I like Brian. The dude can legitly recuperate HP, which is fine by me because I keep getting hit a lot. Anyway, I'll definitely give this game a 7 out of 10. It's simple, it's straightforward, and you know what? During this time where you have live service games, these complicated stuff, straightforward is all you need. Anyway, moving on. The trailer for Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader has been released, showcasing the various locations the game will explore, and it's very interesting. For me, never been much of a Warhammer fan. There's so many different lores between this thing, it's incredible. And apparently this game is going to be a isometric CRPG. Not really familiar with what those are, but hey, if you're a fan of the Warhammer games, I hope it's good. Anyway, moving on, Boruto Ultimate Ninja Storm Connections. We'll be getting Naruto's Baron or Baryon? Baryon mode? I, you know what? I can never pronounce these things. But he's going to get his ultimate mode, which basically killed his Ninetale Fox. It's supposed to be uber powerful, and I hope they kind of reflect that. Also, Sasuke is getting his supporting Kage mode, so which will be pretty fun. And you know what? They've been supporting this game for a while now, so good for them. Hopefully, they make a good Naruto game where it's similar to Xenoverse, because you know what? I think that's what the franchise needs. Anyway, speaking of stuff franchises needs, apparently Farming Simulator 23 decided it needed to be on the Switch. And you know what? People can now stop complaining that it wasn't originally on the Switch because apparently there was a majority of people complaining. Why? I have no idea. Maybe I have to get Farming Simulator to figure out what's the big hype of the game. But anyway, Minecraft is releasing a new game called Minecraft Legends and they released a new trailer for their Piglin invasion. So it's really great to see Minecraft releasing new stuff, especially since they're going to be releasing a movie with Jason Momoa soon. So we'll see what happens there. Moving on, Disney is releasing or released a full trailer advertising their Founders Pack, Ultimate Pack for their Speed Storm game, which actually looks pretty good. The graphics look amazing, which is surprising. And the amount of characters and locations that Disney owns or they can make will probably rival Mario Kart because think about it. They have so many different locations from all their movies that they're able to do. And the fact that they have so many characters, I can see this easily rivaling Mario Kart. And honestly, only time will tell if it actually does. Uh, because look at Multiverses with Warner Brothers. They're closing it up for a year until the game releases, not issuing refunds for those who already bought the Founders Pack and all that stuff. So we'll see what happens, and hopefully, hopefully this game is good. Because you know what? I would like a new game besides Mario Kart that's really fun and with Disney characters, already a win. Anyway, moving on. Xenoblade Chronicle 3 Expansion Volume 4 Future Redeem trailer has been released. And apparently we'll have an original story scenario. We'll have a story set before the events of 3. And you know what? Xenoblade Chronicles is insane with how much they've been supporting this game. They've been releasing DLC like crazy, expanding the story, doing a bunch of stuff, and you know what? Good for them. Good for them. That is what exactly games need. They need games to expand the story, give you a bunch of stuff, and give you different scenarios. And you know what? I'm happy that Xenoblade fans are able to get this. Because trust me, you guys are being spoiled. Anyway... Uh, Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster is coming to PS4 and the Switch, and people who are still a big fan of the Pixel era Final Fantasy will be happy to play this again. 
I never really played Final Fantasy during the Pixel era, but I know a bunch of people who did, and they're really happy. Um, Cult of the Lambs is releasing a new update called Relics of the Old Faith, and this will add new characters, dungeon remixes, and a post-game story mode. I got my friend hooked on this game. She loved it. She was basically asking for more and was sad because there's not really a game like Code of the Lamb. And now that they're releasing a new post-game story mode, she's going to be loving it so much more. This game was definitely a big surprise and I'm really happy to see anything new for it. Speaking of anything new, Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach is now available for the Nintendo Switch. This game was really fun, scary, and you know what? I'm really not surprised that they're releasing this because honestly, the new movie's coming out this year in October. I wouldn't be surprised if they released a new game or kind of like a put together of all the games for a big expansion or a big bundle for you to purchase. But yeah, no, I hope it does good. A DC Universe, a game that has been alive for over a decade now is now adding Dakota as one of the online realms. And this new world includes Static Shock and Rocket. And I gotta say, I am very surprised that this game is still alive because I used to play this 10 years ago and it was fun. But I gotta say, looking at the trailer, the graphics look extremely dated, which makes sense because again, this game released a year ago, not a year ago, a decade ago. Over a decade ago. I think this released 2011. Yeah, it's been over 12 years. Yeesh. <laughs> anyway, yeah. You know what? I think that with this game still being alive, they should, I don't know, revamp it. Give it updated graphics. But again, maybe it would be cost more than it's worth. But again, I'm really happy that this game is alive and that people are still enjoying playing it. Because trust me, whenever it comes to games like this, they die within a, about five years. The fact that this game is going strong after 12, good for them. Anyway, uh, moving on, Final Fantasy Brave X Virus, the mobile game, is having a crossover event with Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. They're getting Ed, Al, Mustang, and Fury King Bradley as playable characters. And for a final boss or a special boss, they're having True Form Envy. And you know what? It's really cool that they're also adding collectibles. And I'm happy that Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood is still getting love. Because honestly, that is my favorite anime series. And it's technically my first anime series I ever watched. So win-win for both sides. Anyway, that's it for video games. Moving on to nerd theories. And I gotta say, I believe that the rumors going around that Microsoft is unhappy with Xbox is true. And you know why? Because if you think about it, Xbox has not been releasing many first-party games. Think about it. When was the last time you heard, oh, this is a AAA exclusive from Microsoft? You really haven't. And they're very much lacking in that category. I mean, look at PlayStation. They're getting Final Fantasy exclusive for the first month or two. They're coming out with God of War. They're coming out with Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West DLC. They came out with, um, what was that game that sucked on PlayStation? What was it? Uh, Forspoken. Yeah, like Forspoken. Sure, that game sucked. But they're releasing so many different games, single player games. And Sony just bought like another studio to work on their multiplayer game. That's the thing about Xbox. They spent so much money, 
buying all these different triple uh, A studios. Think about it. Once they get Activision, they will have access to a bunch, including Call of Duty, Overwatch. I mean, I get that they're trying to double down on these multiplayer, but they haven't released much or if any. And that's a big problem. And I mean, at this point, look at Hi-Fi Rush, a game that was kind of like ghosted on release, not that many advertisements and was a really fun game. But apparently it didn't sell that many units and I really think that it's because of Game Pass. Because think about it, a game is released, instantly goes on Game Pass and anybody can play it and the only income that Microsoft is really getting is of course your monthly subscription. And that can't be enough for a lot of these studios because they need to recuperate the money to make more games. And if Hi-Fi Rush didn't make enough money because of Game Pass, they're going to have to really rethink this. Because sure, it's fun to go back and play old games. I do it all the time with PlayStation's Game Pass. But I honestly look for any new games that's releasing, especially exclusives, because that's why I switched to PlayStation and why I got a PC, because there's no need to buy an Xbox if you have a PC. But we'll see what happens. Maybe this is, like I said, this is all a rumor, but I really believe that Microsoft is unhappy because again, when was the last time you heard exclusive? And look at Halo. That's been a mess for a long time. And with many people leaving, it makes sense. I mean, we were supposed to get this really fun Halo game and it just burned up. So we'll see what happens. Maybe Microsoft will kick Phil Spencer out, make a new person, or they'll do the right thing and give Halo to a studio that will appreciate the franchise for what it is instead of 343 Studios. Anyway, that's it for my nerd theories, moving on to current events. Now, a lot of tech companies like Meta have been laying off workers. And if you're wondering how this is like nerd news, here's the thing. A majority of their layoffs recently has been with their VR developers, specifically Ready at Dawn. A third of their like employees have been laid off. And if the studio kind of sounds familiar, it's because they were really well known for the PSP games. So like the Jack and Dexter spinoff, God of War PSP game, and their biggest one, which was I think their last big game, was Order 1886. Yes, 1886. That's a game I haven't heard for a while. While it was an okay game, for the, how long that game was, was not worth that price. But anyway, I think this kind of showcases how VR games aren't that big of a moneymaker yet because the technology is still early and super expensive. And if Meta doesn't see any future in them and is just laying off people to kind of combine studios, that says a lot for the current VR future. Again, technology is expensive, so not a lot of people can buy it, especially since they're as much as a console. And not to mention, if they're not raking in a lot of money, Again, so VR technology is still early. We'll see what happens in the future. But hopefully uh, Meta doesn't like destroy any more studios because honestly, you need time to make these games work and make them fun. But uh, again, that's it for my current events. I hope you guys had a really fun time listening. I know I always have a fun time talking and I wish you guys the best for your week. Hopefully I'll see you guys next week and we'll have some more fun. Anyway, sayonara. See you later and have a blessed one. Goodbye.